This is Amateur Logic number 136 for November 15th, 2019. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com, and by ICOM. Wish it, wrap it, gift it, step up your gift giving game this year, and get your favorite ham, the transceiver, at the top of their list. ICOM. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Emil. And I'm Mike, D3MIC. Well, how is the moose, Mike? Have you let the moose in yet? I I haven't seen or heard from the moose yet this year, or at least uh, you know in the fall since the fall anyway. But uh, it's been pretty cold uh, here, especially Wednesday. I got up for work, uh, left for work uh, Wednesday morning, and it was uh, minus. 21C, uh, which is about uh, minus 5.8 Fahrenheit, I think it is. Ooh, wow. So, uh, but uh, today was a lot uh, more mild. It was uh, right around the freezing mark today, and it made it feel like it was so warm today because of the the difference a couple of days can make between yeah. you know minus double digits and, uh, and and zero. So that's balmy. Yeah. <laughs> In comparison, well, we've got a fun show lined up for you tonight. Uh, a lot of, well, varied topics, except for, and I won't give it away yet, but email and I just, it was like synchronicity, wasn't it? <laughs> Neither one of us knew what the other one were doing, and we got uh, not exactly the same, but complementary segments to show you tonight. It must have been something in the ionosphere or propagation, some kind of ducting with the cold because we, we hooked up some kind of way. It's just some kind of synchronization, some yeah. perfect timing going on I, there. I feel but. kind of left out because I've actually got a similar project on my to-do list. Yeah. If I'd have known, could have done it. But we didn't. That wouldn't have been fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's get on into it tonight. And I've got an email here. For you to get us kicked off, this comes from our friend Elliot K1MF, and we've we've heard from Elliot here before. Oh yeah, Elliot says um, he was surprised to see that you could find these fine Radio Shack Christmas albums available on the internet at various websites and vendors. And as far as the Radio Shack Battery of the Month Club went, he always got the 9-volt battery because that's the one that uh, powered his prized 6-transistor GE pocket radio. Good memories. Cheers. Nice. Yeah, Elliot, I remember that album. Do you remember that album, Mike? I'm sure you, you've probably seen it before. I don't remember that one. I remember the ones, uh, what was it, Arthur Fiedler, the, uh, the, the composer or the um, conductor? 
he was on the front front album cover of a couple, I think. But I, yeah, I don't remember that one. You know, this one looks almost like a, an album cover that could have appeared here in a recent Christmas episode or something. It, it does sort of like it. Different artists. Except they don't look like they're made out of chocolate. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they don't. Well, uh, thanks for that, Elliot. A uh, lot of fun. And it's getting close to that time of year. It's just before Thanksgiving here, and uh, it's just after Veterans Day. That's why we're flying the colors out here on the, the table tonight. Yeah. Mike, when do y'all, you have um, uh, Thanksgiving up there, don't you? Or a similar holiday? Yeah, we, we've had it. Um, it ours is, is before uh, uh, Halloween in, in uh, October, yeah. and uh, I'm thankful for that because... I would hate to have uh, Thanksgiving, especially with the weather being so unpredictable this time of year in November. Uh, it makes it hard for folks to get around to see family members and such. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a good idea that they decided. I think it's one of the few holidays that doesn't match up with the U.S. holidays. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad ours is in October. It's it's more festive because the, the, the leaves are in their fall colors and uh, they're just starting to fall on the ground. And right now I've got four inches of white stuff on the ground, so even if the leaves were there, you wouldn't see them anyway. Yeah, true. So it's about about prime weather for antenna work. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I had a number of antenna projects to get done, including installing a, a disco and antenna, which got postponed due to due to wasp or hornets. I'm not sure which. Didn't get that close to find out, but they were they were buzzing around where the uh, where the mount was for the for the discount, so it never got put up. And also, uh, I was going to put up another another fifty uh, foot mast, um, but that never got done because it, it the weather turned sour on me before I could get uh, you know everything done. I, I was focusing on on getting yard work, and speaking of yard work, I didn't even get uh, you know the 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 the, the uh, annual maintenance on the uh, the mowers. They're put away, but I didn't get to, you know, pulling the batteries out of them or anything like that. So it hit everybody by surprise up here. And I think even down there uh, with the cold weather you got, um, it it surprised everyone. Yeah, it has warmed up a lot in the last couple of days. And now the weather we have here is about what we should have in January. Mm -hmm. So it, it was really early coming this year. Maybe we'll get a little reprieve and the coming weeks here, but I don't know. I think we might have some other synchronicities going on here, uh, George, because he just mentioned he put up a disc cone. Oh, yeah? Or, and I did the same thing. Like when it was around 60, 50 degrees mm -hmm. out, I, uh, I had taken my disc cone down for field day this year, and I never put it back up. It was laying, leaning against the fence. I did the same thing, Mike, so maybe we have some ducting going on between us. <laughs> Yeah, let's see, fifty or sixty degrees Fahrenheit. That's like, that's like minus thirty Celsius, isn't it? It feels, it feels like, like it, it in the south. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's get on into the segments tonight, Tommy. You you run across a, a project here. I'm kind of envious of it that that I didn't find it first. Yeah, I just kind of stumbled across it just uh, just by looking around. It's pretty cool. 
it's not something I needed, but it's something I think a lot of people may need. So let's take a look. Every now and then I like to just kind of scan through the library manager in the Arduino IDE, and I found one called Frequency Counter. Caught my attention, and after doing a little bit of research on it, uh, very, actually a very little bit of research because it's so easy to use, I uh, see that you can turn an ordinary Arduino into a frequency counter. Now I've got an oscilloscope here, so I don't really need this, but I thought some of you guys may want to be able to use it. So anyway, let's take a look at it and see. To demo, I'm going to use my little frequency generator, my little cheap one I got off of uh, Amazon or eBay, and then I'm going to go ahead and show you that the frequency is correct So on the oscilloscope. So I've got the running a sine wave at 15 kilohertz. So let me hook it up to my scope. And just for the sake of being fast, I'll hit auto setup. And you can see I've got a nice clean sine wave. It shows 14.9999 kilohertz. Now if I change this, you can see it change on the screen. So that's uh, 28 kilohertz. Go down to there's 6 kilohertz, so forth. So you see that it is working. So let's go ahead and take a look at the Arduino. So we're, we're through with the scope for right now. I went ahead and I put my Arduino on a board with a display so that you can see. I've got this little uh, 4 by 20 or 20 by 4 um, I square C display. For the Arduino for this project, I'm using a little Nano that I've got off of. I think I got off of Amazon for three for like 12 bucks or something like that. So they're, they're real cheap. And for power, I'm just going to power it off of my little Radio Shack clearance um, USB battery. Just, just for making things simple. So let's go ahead and hook it up. And it's powering up and you can see the display is upside down but powering up okay it says frequency counter and it's got a little bit of floating going on there until it hooks something up to it 37 Hertz 6 Hertz so forth let's look how this is hooked up so I, I just followed the standard instructions for my display and I hooked it up to the power from my display to the 5 volts out on my Arduino my ground to the ground, and the two other SD, SDA and SCL lines to the appropriate ones, A5 and A4. Um, so look at your pinout for your Arduino for that if you want to use a display. I've also got two, two leads here hooked up to my Arduino. One is on pin 5, digital 5. That's the one that the library is hard-coded to read from. And then the other one is hooked up to another ground on the Arduino. So let's connect it to my signal generator here and let's see what we get. Let's go ahead and hook up to digital 5 to the red lead on my signal generator and the black one to the ground. And I've got 17 kilohertz on my signal generator and I've got 17.0 one four hertz which would be 17 kilohertz on my display is is so easy to use this is a five volt arduino so you're going to need to be careful not to run more than five volts in 
or you're going to blow one of the pins on your Arduino. If we look back at my Arduino here, if I change the frequency, let's go to, there's 12 kilohertz. You can see it's going 12, 12010. 9 is going to be 9007, or 8 is flopping back and forth. That's, that's very accurate. And this is a, like a three to four dollar Arduino, and that's really all you've got to have. If you don't have a display, you can use the serial monitor on your computer and your Arduino IDE to look at the data like that. There's this example for the library that comes with that so that you could basically load that example and run it right off the bat. So it's so easy. Let's take a look at the code just so you can see how easy it is. To install the library, go to Tools, Manage Libraries, Freak Count right here is the one that we're using. So just find that, click Install, and you'll be good to go. You can see I already have it. So let's go ahead and cancel that. Our code's really simple. We're just going to include the Liquid Crystal Display Library for my little display that I'm using. Now that's not totally necessary. Here's the initialization line and the address of my display and the resolution of it, 20 characters wide by 40 lines high. We're going to include the Freak Count Library Header, which is one we just installed. Initialize the LCD. Turn on the backlight for the LCD, set the cursor, print the header, and then we're going to turn on the frequency count library so it can begin. 1000 is the default for that, and you should use that because that means you, your frequency is going to be scaled in a 1 to 1 hertz in hertz like, uh, like I just showed you on mine. But if you want to do it differently, you can change this factor and change and show it in kilohertz, megahertz, however you want to. But you can do that by playing with this, this uh, value here. We begin our loop. If the frequency count dot available is true, then let's go in here and read the frequency. Return it as an unsigned long. Set the cursor position and print it. Now, I, I had to put an empty string and cast the count as a string to get it to show on mine. Uh, otherwise, I got some garbage, so that's what that's about. But then I just put HZ for Hertz afterwards. And that's the only thing in the code. It's so simple. almost forgot to mention, I've tried this on an Arduino Pro Mini. It worked great. I tried it on the Arduino Nano. It worked great. I tried it on my Arduino Uno. I could not get it to work on my Uno. Now, I don't know if I've got something wrong with it or if it's just not compatible. The, the Uno is listed on the website, as you can see, but I could not get it to work. You gotta admit, that's pretty easy and it's really cheap. So if you need a frequency counter, get yourself one of the little cheap Arduinos and you should be in business. Now, keep in mind there are two libraries. One is frequency counter, one's frequency measure. They're by the same guy. Now the frequency counter uses the higher frequencies, but if you want to go and measure like audio level frequencies, you just need to use the other library. It's optimized for the lower, the lower frequencies for that. Uh, but anyway, I hope you find it useful, and uh, maybe this will help some of you guys out with some of your projects in the future. 73. In, in relative terms, it was fairly accurate for a four-dollar Arduino, but you can you can actually fudge that, you know, and, and hone mm -hmm. it in closer if you have a reference, a good reference 
that you can set it to. Oh, yeah. So you can change the value and pad it in your code easily, really easy. Yeah, for what it is, it's, you know, it's yeah. pretty awesome. If you don't have one at all, it's not bad. Yeah. What's the range, Tommy? That was cool. Um, like, frequency-wise, what's the range? Uh, it depends on which one of the libraries you use. If you use the frequency measure, uh, I, for, I forget exactly, but it uh, it goes up pretty pretty high. Frequency measure is down more like in the audio range, and then the frequency count one library was uh, higher. I think it was... Uh, I can't remember. I should have looked it up before. But uh, the link's out there for it. It's it's, uh, it's listed on the site. Yeah. Speaking of links, you know, whenever we're doing a show here, we've got a chat room going on at the same time. When it, well, we're live. It's uh, amateurlogic.tv slash chat. That was a nice segue into there, by the way. Well, somebody said link, and I said, <laughs> I can tie that in somehow. <laughs> so. So there, we forgot to mention it earlier. Yeah, if you're uh, if you're watching a live show and you're not in the chat room, you're missing half the fun. It's kind of like going to the Magic Kingdom. You just kind of yep. have to say it. I'm waiting on email. He got close to the mic. Which half, Tommy? There you go. Well, that's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what are we going to do next here tonight? Email. Being that you've got the microphone all warmed up and fuzzy there, have you got a post or something you'd like to share with us tonight that I accidentally did not get before the show? It, yeah, that, that's okay. You're, you're good because it's not really a post. It's just another unfortunate episode of dog-chewed ham hats. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know what it is with my uh, Wamerainer, but they just seem to have an affinity and a love for my ham hat, no matter where I put them and hide them. I don't know if it's the material. Uh, I swear to it that Tommy's loading those uh, amateur logic hats with dog treats or something, but now that they've attacked one of my other uh, stashes from a ham fest, I'm starting to think something else is going on here. So that's... Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I got. For we've, been, time. Just, we, we've been sending you the gravy-scented ones, like no. Mike has mentioned. Yeah. Well, you, I got a deal. That, that was, it was free. The gravy scent must have been free, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first one's first taste is free. It keeps yeah, you, coming, keeps you <laughs> being a return customer. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's going to keep the ham, some of the ham fests in business because I'm, I'm going to go into the hat business. <laughs> well, we'll be back in just a moment, but first let's get a message from MFJ. After months of extensive development and testing, it's finally here and ready to take remote operation to another level. The new RigPi station server from MFJ and Howard Nurse W6HN is going to change the way you think about getting on the air. Why be bound by the four walls of your ham shack when you can take it with you wherever you go? The MFJ1234 Rig Pi lets you operate from anywhere you have an internet connection on your Apple or Android mobile device, iPad, tablet, Kindle, laptop, or desktop computer without additional hardware. Just fire up any web browser and get on the air. Rig Pi connects to most any transceiver with cat control. 
Operate single sideband, CW, AM, FM, digital, or any mode your radio supports. Operate your rotor, CW King, digital modes, logging, spot monitoring, call book lookups, and more. 32 user programmable macros let you control the features you want. Two or more hams from different locations can operate different radios at the same time using a single rig Pi. The MFJ1234 Raspberry Pi's Raspbian operating system comes with many free programs installed, like FT8, RIDI, WSJTX, FL Digi, a word processor, email, and spreadsheet. Plus, thousands of Linux-based programs, including many for ham radio, are available. The RigPi Station server is available as separate modules, allowing you to customize it a piece at a time, or get the complete unit with RigPi Base, OS firmware, audio board, and CW keyer board. The RigPi audio board connects to your radio and serves send and receive audio to your mobile device, or use it to operate digital modes like FT8 and FL Digi. It includes IQ inputs for use in pen adapters and has built-in isolation transformers for RF and Humphrey audio. The keyer board generates perfect Morse code using the popular K1EL wind keyer chip. Just connect your favorite paddle. Software modules for RigPi will be available on GitHub as a free open source download so you can add your own features in the future. Get your MFJ1234 RigPi today and take your remote operation to the next level. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com. We're going to give away a RigPi station server here just a, a little bit later in the show. Yep, got one lucky winner. Yep. We'll have so. that uh, a little later. You had a, a follow-up here. Yeah, Emil asked about the uh, the range for the for the library for the Arduinos. Depending on your Arduino, from one kilohertz up to eight megahertz, depending on your Arduino, and then the frequency measure library I mentioned is 0.1 hertz to one kilohertz. Oh, that, that covers a lot kind of range. low stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a totally different library, but it works very similar. Maybe we should go to a ham fest. We haven't been to one of those. I haven't been to one. In a good while, I'm past yeah. due. Mike, can you hook us up? Sure can. I uh, always look forward to this one every year. So it's kind of at the right time after after Labor Day, after our Thanksgiving, and the weather's not generally too bad. Um, so I always look forward to this one, and it's it's not too close to Christmas, so you usually have a little cash in your pocket still. That's important. Mike V three MIC here. It's Saturday, November second. And I'm at the 43rd York Region Hamfest in Markham, Ontario. On the right, you can see Radio World. Wow, what a crowd! Please come to the ticket table. Thank you. Our first stop is the Honest Bob Morton's Maple Leaf Communications booth, where, as the sign says, waving money will get my attention. Bob certainly is a regular at all the larger hamfests, including Hamvention. Now there's a Canadian. You can tell because he's still wearing shorts in November. Seems like we're headed down Powell Street. For those of you who have ever walked down Powell Street in San Francisco, you'll know what I'm talking about. Some classic radios and test gear. Speaking of classic, I spotted a pair of Heathkit hi-fi gear that I have never seen before, and I had to stop and take a look.
there's the ever-present Radio Amateurs of Canada displaying back issues of their bi-monthly TCA magazine. Over here, there were several tables selling vintage radio parts, like these transmitting tubes. If it's good enough for Lieutenant Uhura, it's good enough for you. Excuse me, pardon me. Hi, how's the wife and kids? Panel meters, switches, and the most Nixie tubes that I've ever seen at a flea market. More vintage radios and test equipment. Here's the power pole guy with a good assortment of power connectors, cables. ARRL handbooks. Oh look, a six meter amplifier. I could use one of those to work with neighbors. Classic analog multimeters. Spools and spools of primary wire. The incoming QSL card bureau. Hello ladies. vintage test gear and vacuum tubes. Even more test gear, some honking air variable capacitors, coax cable, Motorola DMR mobile radios and HTs, more test gear, some TNCs, classic Swan HF rig, a 350 I think. Well, that's all the video. I had to stop and shop at these tables. One was selling all kinds of small audio amplifier and voltage regulator kits and nicely made J-pole antennas. PCboard.ca had all kinds of LEDs, including small 0-30 volt LED panel meters. They also had Arduino protoboards and kits. Lastly, I couldn't resist buying one of these Node MCU IoT experimenter kits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It looks like uh, email approves it. Uh huh. Uh, I, you know what? I was thinking if we got a couple of minutes, maybe maybe we should go through my my score uh, from the Hanfest, and we can we can verify that it is indeed com compliant. Okay, that sounds good. Are you up for this, Emil? I got my ledger. Okay. Case you've been bad. All right, let's. What do we got on the on the list here? Uh, okay, we've got a coax sh stripper. Six bucks. Com compliant or non com compliant? I'm compliant. Okay. S meter free from oh. the free box. Okay, that one wins the prize. I got to take this one out of the package. I needed one of these for a power supply that I had built. And it's a, I don't know if you can see this. It's not lit up right now, but it's a, um, it's a th three-digit um, yep. LED voltage counter, or a voltage mm -hmm. meter, I should say, and um, 
Hmm. I'll have to leave that one on the check mark over here. Oh, did I mention it covers zero to thirty volts? Okay. Go ahead. Um, this one's still in the package, but what it is, it's a little voltage converter module. It's it's buck or boost, mm-hmm. and it handles five amps. Oh. Five bucks. There you go. It's a dollar an amp. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. Now, this one might be riding the line a little bit. I needed one of these for a late birthday gift that I bought, and you can see it's still in the package. Oh, yeah. Unused. Um. But it's not the fancy one, which is definitely not con compliant. This is a little um, BNC to SMA connector, mm-hmm. uh, yep. jumper cable, yep. which is perfect for this guy. Yep. Six yep. bucks, but I don't know. That might be riding the line a little well, bit. Are those Canadian bucks? Those are Can- everything's in Canadian dollars, which is like uh, uh. probably half. So or that? sorry, double a double a price that it would be as if it was a U.S. U.S. price. Well, not that much, but yeah, Canadian dollars. So they, uh, so a six the, buck item really is would be closer to be three dollars. Like it. No, that's come for closer us, to twelve. More like four bucks, four American bucks, roughly. Or it used to be. I'm not sure what the exchange rate is now. Uh, we'll have to leave this to email to figure out. It's. I'm too cheap to buy a calculator, so no. <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to need your calculator for this. This is 200 feet of, I believe it's three eighths of Dacron line. Squirrel resistant. <laughs> UV resistant. I don't know about squirrels. <laughs> Definitely UV resistant because I've I've been using some for my uh, off-center fed dipole, and before that it was used for my G5 RV, and it's been up there probably uh, 12 years and still looks as good as the day I put it up. So, um, price on that was 18 cents a foot. Well, the real question is: Dacron or Dacron? I say Dacron, you say Dacron. <laughs> All right, Mike, is that it? Nope. Oh, I'm sa- I'm saving oh, the wow. best for last. That was the last thing in the segment, and it's this uh, IoT kit. Oh yeah, protoboard. Yeah. Well, isn't that interesting? It's you can see through the holes. <laughs> um, and all the bits, including you have to put it together yourself. So I've got a little bit of soldering to do. Twelve bucks. Now that's the ES or the Node. That's the Node uh, MCU with the Bluetooth, or sorry, with the uh, Wi-Fi. Oh no, sorry, it's the uh, the BLE built in. Uh, uh, what is it? The eighty four sixty six, I believe. Uh, eighty two sixty six. Eighty two sixty six. Yeah, yes. ESP eighty two sixty six. Email. I'm gonna chip in here for him. I bought something similar at Hamvention this year, and I've been experimenting with it here lately. I paid a lot more for it than that. I paid too much for it, actually. Uh, you're not going to be able to use the seal of approval. Well, he doesn't know how much, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I think I don't know. I think Mike can continue. CCO says he can continue to show. So, good job, Mike. Thank you. I had you in mind when I was making the expenditures. Um, 
<laughs> and somewhere I kept the invoices, so if if the accountant needs to uh, to verify the purchases, I'm sure I can I can find them. Yes, please turn in all receipts, and we'll pass judgment. <laughs> Yeah. Well, nice haul, Mike. You got some good stuff there, and you didn't spend an arm and a leg on it. No, I was I was actually quite surprised, uh, especially with the small boards and the uh, the voltage converter module, because I I have seen them as you probably have on on some of the uh, online shops like eBay and such, and they they sell for pretty much the same price. But the difference being that it's going to take probably a month before you get it, whereas mm-hmm. you can pick it up right there and away you go. Yep, I bought some um, little OLED displays the other day, and it's going to be about a month before they arrive. Yeah. You saw... Yeah, do you remember Remember the... Uh, I, I drop shipped something to you, Tommy. Remember? I thought it was mm-hmm. lost, uh-huh. and it showed up, what, two months later or something yeah. like that? Yep. A little real-time <laughs> clock modules. It wasn't real time, huh? No, real time. It was late time. Real time. RTC modules, that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, it was a lot of fun and I always look forward to the uh to the uh the, the ham fest uh by the uh Y Y uh York Region Amateur Radio Club. They always do a fantastic job and uh it's it's always well attended as you can see from the video. Oh yeah. And I I have a new a newfound respect for you and uh, Tommy and uh I don't know how you managed to shoot uh, video footage at the Hamfest because uh I'm sure you've been to Hamfest where it's wall-to-wall people and Titan. and it's just a challenge to get around. Oh, let yeah. alone try to shoot video. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you bringing that video back. I mean, I saw the photos of the crowd before you put this segment together, and I was thinking, man, he's not even going to be able to get close to the tables. Yeah, that's a nice, looks like a nice ham fest. And yeah. Like, we, I wish some of ours had some of those little modules. I never see stuff like that. Not here. Ours. No, at Dayton there's a few things. Oh, yeah, and, and at Huntsville. Maybe Huntsville, but the yeah. other ones, the smaller ones, um, anyway, it didn't, it didn't look like a huge ham fest, but it looked like a nice size one. Yeah. You you ran across something there, and you stopped on it and talked about it for just a second that uh, kind of caught my eye, and I had to go back and freeze a frame here in your video so we could look oh. at it. Oh, the Heath kit, yeah. Yeah. And and I'm looking at the, the nameplate. I think it says DGEN on there. I, I'm not familiar with that, but uh, some of the audio files might. I, I'm assuming... You know, it's a respected, uh, you know, maker or brand of some kind. Uh, it's actually a Heath kit. It is a kit, and I can't read what that says. I think it says... Daystrom. Yeah. Oh, Daystrom, yes. Um, I had one of these back when I was, oh, I don't know, probably 16 or 17. Oh, yeah? Yeah, a friend of mine had one that his brother had put together. And I bought it from him, and I used it for a number of years, and I wish I would have kept it, but I sold it to someone else. The tubes were a little bit microphonic in it, so if you bumped it, you know, you could hear hear pings, you know. But I I really wish I would have kept this. It was a a great little amplifier, and boy, talk about your your classic piece of hi-fi gear, kits, Uh this... This I wonder what nice they were asking here. for that. I can't really see. 
I think it said 140 on the tag. Who? Oh, yeah. And that, I'm assuming, is for the pair of them. There was the... Um, the tuner, I think too. one was the tuner, and, the, and yeah. this is the amplifier slash... I'm assuming it has a preamp in it as well? Yeah. Uh, I didn't have the tuner. All I had was the amplifier. But that was okay because I had another... This is before I could... I could do a little bit of electronic stuff. I could solder connectors and stuff, but I couldn't troubleshoot. So I had this other off-brand receiver that the amplifier stage was bad in it, and I didn't know how to fix it. But I could come out of the tape output and run it into the heat kit there, and I had I had me a stereo. Good enough. Good enough. Work, works for me. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah. Um, 140 I paid a whole lot less than that. But, you know, some of this stuff got more expensive as it got older and and rare to find. Yeah. Yeah, I understand the Heath kits are, are sought after now. Of course, Heath, the Heath kit not being in business for quite a number of years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anybody that's selling Heath kit gear, uh, particularly gear that hasn't been built yet, it's, it's oh, the yeah. prices are astronomical. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That the uh, periodical you mentioned too, Michael. You passed by the table, the bi-monthly periodical. Oh yes, the uh, the the Canadian Amateur or TCA magazine. It comes out every two months. It's from the um, the Radio Amateurs of Canada. It's their kind of um, their own publication. You know, it's similar to uh, QST with the AWRL. Okay. But on a on a on a uh, smaller scale, it's it's not nearly as big as QST, of course. But uh, it's it's got some good articles in there, uh, and it it varies. There's contest results like there is in QST, and there's uh, technical write ups and uh, usually news about uh, current band plans. And speaking of which, um, I don't have an email for it, but um, I understand the uh, you know the. Um, uh, the meetings are going on. I'm not sure. I think it's in Spain this year. And it looks like that uh, Region 1 might get a, a 6-meter allocation, which is going to be great for them because they have 4 meters, but they don't have 6 meters. Hmm. Wow. So they well, can work good. their neighbors too, huh? They can, buy any, yeah, they can buy that amp and work all neighbors. <laughs> hey, check this out. Chip put, posted this link. Check this Heathkit catalog out from 1969. There's your your gear. Check this out. Checked out the fellow's name. Yeah, I can't read it. Is it Nurse? Yeah, it's yeah. Howard Nurse's father. And Howard Nurse is the guy who came up with the idea and put the software together yeah. for uh, the Rig Pie. Yes. Yep. That was his father. That's pretty. I thought that was interesting. I clicked on what That's he let, put over there and saw it. I thought it was kind of cool. You know, I kind of wanted one of those TVs, the kit TV, color TV, but it really wasn't that good a deal, I don't think. You know, it was kind of... It wasn't like you were um, coming away with a bargain if you built your own TV, but yeah, it would be fun. Yeah, it would. Could you imagine the shipping cost on something like that? Yeah, well, I, it wouldn't come Amazon Prime, that's for sure. <laughs> I just didn't remember they had all that stuff. Oh, yeah, I remember a lot of this stuff. Look at the TV. Look at the TV. It's got a color picture. Look, yeah. it's moving. 
You see the tubes in it. Yeah, well, maybe I should do it like that. <laughs> I was wondering if this website got some kind of green screen effect to it. Cool. Look there. That's not bad price for the antennas. That's pretty awesome. I'm glad he posted that. I'm going to save this and look at it. $350. When is that? 1960? 1969. Yeah. That was a oh, lot of money. That was, money that was back big bucks back then. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was. And right there, he mailed a cheap. Oh, I like it. Low-cost, solid-state organ. It's only $439. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should pull up the website that does the uh, you know that does the conversion what what the dollars would be in 1969 dollars just wow. to see what it is but it I bet you can almost add a zero on the end. Oh yeah, probably so. Well, that's pretty neat. This is that amplifier right there. The one, yeah. We had one of those. A, a guy I played in a band with built it and and had that amplifier right there. And it had a reverb built into it, a spring was reverb. Was it a reverb or was it just microphonic? No, it had a spring reverb in it. <laughs> and I bought it from him, and I took it to the AM station I was working at, and we managed to get it inserted in the line so that, in the audio chain there, so that we had reverb. Oh. And it was... It was amazing. We could rock that thousand water <laughs> in the seventies. Well, that's cool. Thanks for posting that, Chip. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Chip. That's uh, that's neat. I'm going to have to check that out. It's in the chat room. See, if you're not in the chat room, this is one of the things you miss. This is a half of the fun you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's the half. Check that out. Neat stuff. Uh, just curiosity, uh, out of curiosity, George, how many pages in that catalog? It's it's bigger than, uh, by the time I, I got into electronics and that, it was like in the early 80s, and the catalog from Heathkit was only about, you know, a dozen pages or so. Control E. Uh, but that, that, that one looks like there's a lot. Damn. Wow. Do not adjust like your a, vertical or your horizontal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a Radio Shack catalog. Look, yeah. it's still going. We'll, we'll go ahead and get to the bottom. We'll, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure people could look at that for very long. There's the end. I don't know if I can see how many pages it is, though. Look at the top left there, Tommy. 116. You want to see something neat? What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they had some nice color print. Yeah. George just invented a teleprompter. Pardon me? You just invented a teleprompter. Well, I kind of guess I did, yeah. In a manner of speaking. All the way back in 1969. <laughs> wow. Okay. What are we doing next year? Well, email? I guess you should go ahead and tell them what it was that we accidentally both stumbled upon this month to talk about. Well, all right. All right. Yeah, we, we must have been uh, both trying to figure out where we are. And where we're going, because I think uh, both of us had a uh, a jaunt into the world of physics and relativity when it comes to uh, GPS and uh, ham radio. Either that or you were both lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Hi, George and Tommy. In this episode of Cheap Old Man Minutes, I wanted to take some time to talk about the uh, global positioning system and ham radio. Well, you've probably heard about or even used GPS and ham radio. How is it used in ham radio? Do you know how it works? Is it Cheap Old Man compliant? How can I use it? So how is it used in ham radio? Automatic Packet Reporting System, or the APRS, as you might know it, uh, APRS IS, DPRS, uh, telemetry data. I've seen people use it for all three of those, and I'll give examples a little bit later. In the uh, digital modulation modes out there today, you see it then integrated, actually, into DSTAR, DMR, and C4FM uh, over the repeaters and point-to-point -point and all sorts of ways. Uh, I've seen it used in high-altitude balloon tracking projects where they'll put some uh, location and telemetry data being sent back through uh, APRS and other means, whisper, and uh, tactical situational awareness. Uh, Aries, for instance, uh, might have a group of hams that are organized enough to be tracking themselves where they are, what their statuses are, uh, all sorts of things can happen there for uh, tactical and situational awareness uh, using the integrated GPS systems into that are in the radios or external to them, uh, what have you. Uh, of course, another one of the most important issues or uh, items that it offers is time. In fact, it's based on time. You'll see a little bit more of that later. So how does it work? This is an interesting, the most interesting thing. I learned some things just looking it up. Uh, on the on board the satellites, 24 GPS satellites, there are atomic clocks that keep time within three nanoseconds or three billionths of a second. The uh, satellites send messages to your receivers on in the L band, uh, 1.574. You see the uh, frequencies there. Uh, in the L-band. Uh, it sends multiple sets of information um, to your receivers and ground stations. Uh, the time, one of the most fascinating things I uh, remember reading was that time on the satellites are actually adjusted um, for the theory of relativity because of their distance away from mass, the mass of the Earth, because time does change based on you know relative to mass so uh, that was a fascinating topic and there's a lot of reading out there on the internet it's published information so check it out uh, basically your receiver when it gets all of those uh, those sets of informations and decodes it it does the physics the math geometry using what's called trilateration not triangulation but trilateration using all that information from at least four of the satellites to give you a three-dimensional location, your location, in reference to where it is and where the satellites are and when they sent you the, the time packets. So lots of interesting stuff in there, physics for, for us nerds to go read. Check it out. It was a fascinating topic. But that's the basic basics of how it works. So is it cheap old man compliant?
Well, I looked it up, and with a annual operation cost of $750 million and initial implementation cost to put them in orbit of $2 billion, um, I'm just going to say no. But luckily for us, we don't have to do that part to be able to use it in ham radio. So uh, there are some other cheap old man compliant aspects of the system. And speaking of some of those cheap old man compliant things, there's apps out there. Um, on, on my Android, for instance, I have an app called the Grid Square Locator, which wherever you are is going to tell you what you're operating. It comes in handy for things like uh, parks on the air or somewhere else you might be. If you're giving out your uh, grid square for operating and I also have the QRZ app on my uh, phone, which if you look closely there, you'll see a bearing with distance from where people publish their QTH uh, locations on based. Now in the app, it will actually calculate it based on your current location or your QTH either. You know, that's a setting that you go set in the uh, app. So uh, lots of interesting dynamic uses of this. And last one is the uh, APRS.FI site, which is uh, lots of people using it to uh, report uh, whether it's their D-Star hotspots or links to repeaters or weather information or um, digipeaters, repeaters, you name it. There's all sorts of information out there on APRS.FI or FI. So... Uh, again, lots of neat uh, things there, and you'll. Uh, I recommend you don't read the small print there because the apps are free. However, everything else that it takes to use them are not necessarily free. So, Rel the theory of relativity for cheap old man compliance. Here's one of my favorites, and probably a lot of hams out there who might also be weather enthusiasts as I call it, um, you can track your own weather stations data or other datas via the telemetry options available to the APRS protocol. Um, I took an example here from the APRS.FI of a local ham in our area who basically publishes his information uh, via APRS IS service. And if that ever is not available, that's the internet version basically of APRS. But if that's ever not available, this information can be sent over RF as well uh, through local digipeters or um, point to point for that matter. So very interesting uses here. If you've never looked into what's what's out there now being either broadcast over RF or uh, when the internet's available via those methods. So you can see the telemetry data here over time can be recorded as well using the, uh, the internet there in APRS.FI. So uh, interesting use there for the weather enthusiast crowd within the ham community. And of course, we can't forget about on the air, in the radios themselves, whether it's an HT that has a GPS receiver in it and uses the information and sends it out to other um, hams and radios over the air that can decode it. 
Um, or even in the case of uh, that middle picture there, that's my ICOM 9100's uh, screen. I can manually input the data of location in there as well. And you can see there, depending on who's calling on the other side, you're going to get some heading information along with distance, which may help you point an antenna, let's say, for directivity or uh, make other adjustments that you think you might need to make in order to get that other uh, station or whatever, what have you, or just knowing the information for that matter. So interesting ways to do it uh, automatically or manually in certain cases if you're not if you don't have a GPS receiver in the radio or external to it, most modern radios take the inputs from a GPS receiver, whether it's through an external port or if they're integrated, like you see in the HTs. Uh, there are some also some other uses of it where uh, there's some group modes and uh, monitoring features, and they'll have... Uh, the abilities to see where other people are, whether they're in range or not, and the distance between the group of uh, people. So lots of interesting things out there for using the GPS system in ham radio. And again, this, there, there's so much more information than what I covered here. <laughs> I'm sure many more people have many more ideas. And chat room ought to be lighting up by now, I hope. But... Uh, it's just made to be a, a primer or an intro to it. If you haven't thought about it down that line, uh, check it out. It's awesome stuff, as usual. This uh, hobby is fascinating. 7-3. <laughs>
Have you got an email for us tonight, Tommy? I do. Not an email. I have one from the post, from the real mail. The snail mail? Yeah. I got one from our friend Rude. Uh, you remember he sent the um, the email, or the actually it was an email back then, about the quarter wave stubs that you did? Yeah. And about how he used two of them on mm-hmm. his. But anyway, he's, he's sent in several emails in the past. It says, Hi, Tommy and George. I'm a big fan of your show on YouTube. Always nice content and good tips. Especially how to use a Raspberry Pi in combination with our radio hobby. As you probably know, I'm so, I sometimes react on some issues on your show. Last thing was the coax filter. I mentioned that it was better to use it with two tails. Uh, then you could use it as a high-pass filter or low-pass filter or a band-pass filter or a band-stop filter. I want to say thank you for all your good work and time you put into the channel. And I'll do that to send you these two printed by me personalized Raspberry Pi keychain cases. And we sent these to put the other camera. Oh, this is uh and that one's yeah. cool. So anyway they got uh call signs. It's hard to see. Got the call signs. Yeah, it doesn't come with a remote control. It doesn't? No, I don't think. Or, or so. a pair of mice. Or a rig pie. So that's pretty cool. You can uh, put, oh, a, wow. put a Raspberry Pi Zero in it and then put it on the keychain, take it with you. So I'll, I've actually got a Raspberry Pi Zero in my drawer that I haven't used, and I'll put that in there and put it in my computer bag to take. Customized, too. Yeah. Uh, nice. Says, with this case, you'll, you'll have the pie with you. Pi always with you. When you program the Chi Pi with the content on this link, this link, that link, uh, you can use it wherever you are. The only thing you need is a host computer. It doesn't matter if it's a Windows, Mac, or Linux machine. I use it with my logbook. I'm using CQR log on the Pi at home. When I have a field day, I simply plug my keychain Pi in a host computer and I'm done. It's a pity that we have a huge time difference, so I can't be live in your chat room during your show. Have fun with the keychain case, 73 Rude. Anyway, thanks a lot, man, for that. Really appreciate it. And yeah. I will definitely put mine in there when I get home and uh, set it up. And I'm going to start taking it with me when I travel. And I put it in my. I've actually got a keychain hanging inside my bag with a few other things on it. And this will be perfect to go in there. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. This is... This is neat. I was just thinking I need to do something with my Pi Zero. Well, there you go. Now you got an opportunity. And I can hang it right on my keychain, and I'll always remember that I need to do something with my <laughs> Pi Zero. Well, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my. Thanks, Ray. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, put it in my computer bag. Huh? Sir, the name was Rude. Yeah, R U U D. He's in the Netherlands. Okay, uh, yeah. call, I didn't say it's call sign either. I'm sorry. I should have said this call sign. I think it's PA3RW. This call sign. I use. I also use the CQR log on my Ubuntu machine in the shack. That's good stuff. No kidding. Cool. <laughs> auto upload, auto track. I mean, wow. I need to check it out. I haven't used that one yet. But uh, that's pretty neat. Well, Mike, have you got something to talk about tonight? I have one piece of mail or news here, and it's about the uh, the Russian over-the-horizon radar. And uh, the um, the monitoring system over in Europe, um, 
IARU-R1 monitoring system, uh, was reporting that the Russian over-the-horizon radar container has been active in the 7, 10, 14, and 18 megahertz amateur radio allocations. And if I, I actually went back to, I think it was uh, in a report that the ARRL had uh, had made back in October of 2016, and they announced at that time that the um, in Russia they were they were working on 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 some of these newer over the horizon ra- radar systems, and uh, I think the first report that came out um, was that it, they were finding it on the 20 meter band, but now it's on you know seven seven megs, 10 megs, 14 and 18 megs. So. Um, I guess there's uh, there's probably going to be some follow up from the uh, monitoring center, and uh, and seeing what uh, what's going on. But uh, I know I don't know if uh, apparently it's using some different, um, obviously more more techni- technologically advanced than the old uh, Russian woodpecker of the uh, 70s and 80s. Um, they they mentioned the, uh, the the modulation techniques that they're using. Um, and all I can tell you is I'm not familiar with them, and all they're all I can tell you is that they're used in, like for radar. Um, but it's uh, pretty pretty interesting to see because I know there's been other other incidents of uh, other you know I, I I guess maybe you could call them pirates uh, on on the amateur bands, and now now they they've got the over the horizon radar. Uh, that's causing interference uh, as well now. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that will be interesting to see. We're going to be back in just a moment, and I'm going to learn you a thing or two that you didn't know about GPS. Some more. Some more. Either that or I'm going to put you to sleep, (laughs) one or the other. But... (laughs) If you will, uh, if you'll just hang here for a minute, we'll get into that. But first, uh, we need to get a message here from our friends at ICOM. Wish it, wrap it, gift it. Step up your gift-giving game this year and get your favorite ham, the transceiver, at the top of their list. ICOM offers a variety of high-performance and innovative products. Make the most of this holiday season with one of these ICOM rigs today. Tis the season to give your favorite ham the SDR they really want, the IC7610. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest of signals, even in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The IC7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that will change the world's definition of a SDR radio. RF Direct Sampling, 110 dB RMDR, independent dual receivers, and dual digicell. Ham for the holidays. The IC7300 is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. The transceiver at the top of every ham's wish list this holiday season is the IC9700. Keep your competitive contesting edge with faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal. ICOM's IC9700 is the pinnacle of perfection. 4.3-inch color touchscreen TFT LCD, 
dual watch operation, and full duplex operation in satellite mode, real-time high-speed spectrum scope, and waterfall display. SD memory card slot for voice recording and playback, support for CW, AM, FM, single sideband, RIDI, and D-Star DV and DD modes. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on all these great ICOM radios. We appreciate ICOM sponsoring amateur logic here. And, you know, they also sponsor a lot of other activities in ham radio. And they enjoy being radioactive. And radioactive. In addition to the various contests and radio activities that ICOM does support and sponsor, ICOM's a proud supporter of Youngsters on the Air, or Y-O-T-A. Mm-hmm. December is uh, is Region 1 and Region 2 Yoda activation. Uh, work 1 or all of the Yoda stations in Region 1 and 2 and help create excitement about our wonderful hobby. Go ahead. And it's events dot ham slash y-o-t-a dot com and what's the date for that again uh december oh, it says december yeah cool. i i guess it's a whole month youngsters on the air and some places i hear it is youth on the air mm-hmm. but it's y-o-t-a oh, that's cool. either way you, you spell it out. okay yeah they uh they they give a lot back to the ham radio hobby oh yeah they, uh, yeah they really do yeah. They make great, great swag, too. They do. Oh, they do, yeah. Yep. And they make good dog treats, although I don't think that was the in, <laughs> intention, huh, Emil? There must have been some in here. <laughs> oh, have, have they gotten any of your ICOM hats yet? N- nope. Oh, my, uh, I figured they would go after, like, the plastic bottles, you know, the drink bottles. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But just the hats, for whatever <laughs> reason. I think it's, you know, you were probably eating ribs or something when you were wearing that hat. And, you know. <laughs> I just see you thinking when I'm putting it on there with my uh, barbecue-stained hands there. It's the only thing that makes sense. It yeah. does make sense. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, oh, yeah, uh, Jocelyn, uh, our friend, KD8VRX up near Cincinnati, said, yeah, uh it is all December on Yoda, and they're doing a big event there at VOA. Yeah, Voice, Voice of, America. of America. That, that the Voice of America Museum up, uh, you know, between well, it's it's near Cincinnati. Yeah, what is that, Mason? I think oh, it's yeah. Mason. Yeah. So that that is the club, and that is going to be sponsoring a, a big Yoda event coming up. GPS. You know, how accurate is GPS? I always heard that it wasn't right on the money. Yeah, I think it used to be more accurate than it is. You think? Yeah, I remember a, a while back, uh, they, I think the military maybe did something about they kind of decreased the accuracy of it. Well, I happen to know where you can get more information on that subject. Do you? Yeah. But how timely? By just sitting right here and watching and listening. Staying awake. Yeah. Staying awake. Today we're going to talk a little bit about GPS and do a little decoding. When GPS was first put into service, the U.S. military was concerned about the possibility of enemy forces using the globally available GPS signal to guide their own weapon systems. 
Originally, the government thought the course acquisition signal would only give about 328 feet accuracy, but with improved receiver designs, the actual accuracy was around 65 to 100 feet. In March 1990, to avoid providing such unexpected accuracy, the CA signal transmitted on the L1 frequencies was deliberately degraded by offsetting its clock signal by a random number equivalent to about 100 meters in distance. This technique, known as selective availability, or SA for short, seriously degraded the usefulness of GPS signals for non-military users. More accurate guidance was possible for users of dual-frequency GPS receivers, which also received the L2 frequency, but the L2 transmission, intended for military use, was encrypted and was only available to authorized users with the decryption keys. This presented a problem for civilian users who relied upon ground-based radio navigation systems like LORAN, VOR, or NDB, costing millions of dollars each year to maintain. The military received multiple requests from the FAA, the U.S. Coast Guard, and the United States Department of Transportation to set SA aside to enable civilian users of GNSS, but the military remained steadfast in the objections on grounds of security. Through the early to mid-1980s, a number of agencies developed a solution to the SA problem. Since the SA signal was changed slowly, the effect of its offset on position was relatively fixed. If the offset was 300 feet to the east, that offset would be true over a relatively wide area. Using that method, accuracy could be improved to around 50 feet. Transmission delays in the ionosphere could also be measured and corrected for in the broadcast, offering an improvement to about 16.5 feet of accuracy. The U.S. Coast Guard began developing DGPS, experimenting with the system on an ever-wider basis through the mid-1980s and early 1990s. These signals are broadcast on marine longwave frequencies and are fed into suitably equipped GPS receivers. Almost all major GPS vendors offer units with DGPS inputs, not only for the U.S. Coast Guard signals, but also aviation units for either VHF or commercial AM bands. The Coast Guard began sending out production-quality DGPS signals in 1996 and rapidly expanded the network to cover most of the U.S. ports of call, as well as St. Lawrence Seaway, in partnership with the Canadian Coast Guard. In November 2013, the U.S. Coast Guard's national DGPS network consisted of 85 broadcast sites, which provide dual coverage to almost the entire U.S. coastline and inland navigable waterways, including Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. The FAA and others started studying broadcasting the signal across the entire hemisphere from communication satellites in geostationary orbit. This led to the Wide Area Augmentation System, or WAAS, and similar systems. WAAS offers accuracy similar to the U.S. Coast Guard's ground-based DGPS network. By the mid-1990s, it was clear that the selective availability system was no longer useful for its intended role. DGPS rendered it ineffective over the U.S., and experience during the Gulf War demonstrated that the widespread use of civilian GPS receivers by U.S. forces meant that leaving SA turned on was thought to actually harm the U.S. more than it helped. 
After many years of pressure, it took an executive order by President Bill Clinton to get SA turned off permanently in 2000. By then, DGPS had involved into a system for providing more accuracy than even a non-SA GPS signal could provide on its own. There are several other sources of error which share the same characteristics as SA in that they are the same over large areas and for reasonable amounts of time. These include the ionospheric effects mentioned earlier, as well as errors in the satellite position data and clock drift on the satellites. Depending on the amount of data being sent in the DGPS correction signal, correcting for these effects could reduce the errors significantly. The best implementations offer accuracies of under 4 inches. Due to the increasing accuracy of GPS, the Coast Guard no longer has a mission requirement for DGPS. GPS provides sufficient positional accuracy to meet international navigation requirements, and other commercial and government GPS augmentation systems are available. At the beginning of 2018, the U.S. Coast Guard had 38 DGPS stations remaining. The Coast Guard began discontinuing service from these stations in 2018, and the staged reduction of the remaining medium-frequency DGPS broadcast service sites will conclude in 2020. That means we don't have long to listen for these if we want to try to decode them. The station I'm going to try to decode is in English Turn, Louisiana. It transmits on 293 kilohertz, and I should just barely be within the coverage area of it. I can hear it on my transceiver, so let's plug it in and see what we get. There are several different programs that can decode DGPS signals. The one I'm going to use is called DSC Decoder. Now, it's not a free program. However, they do give you a 21-day free trial period to try the program out. So I'm on day two of my trial here. I'm just going to click no because I'm not going to register the program right now. And here we go. There's only a few things we need to do in here. First is look under options. We're going to choose D, GPS. The rest of the options can be left as they are. We've got the button, which will actually capture the signal here. We can record it, or we can play back a signal. There are several options here for the display. We can look at a chart, which is really just a map. We can look at a message window, or we can look at a waterfall. There's also a display here that will let us see the waveform. We'll start it by clicking Start there. Now, there's two different baud rates. In the U.S., most of our DGPS is 200 baud, so that's what I've selected. And you can see the waveform here. Let's look at the waterfall running from right to left. Now, let's look at the messages. And they have started coming in. If we look right here at the top, there's our message right there. Station ID 029. Of course, we know that is English Turn, Louisiana. We have a message type of 09. Occasionally, we'll get an 06 or a different message there, but the majority of them are 09s. We have a time signal here of 45 point, well, that keeps incrementing, a sequence number, a length of the message, a health score, and a date and time. And this time here does seem to be in sync with the time on my computer. It should be similar to the 
TIM listed over here. Now, I'm not sure what just happened there. We've got an 053, Somerville, Texas, USA. We're getting some other ones in there. I'll have to look it up and see what that means. Perhaps there is more than one out there that I'm not familiar with. That is interesting, though. We'll check that out. I thought this one was on a different frequency. And, uh, yeah, it looks like it is on a different frequency. So, kind of surprised to see that pop up. It's the first time I've noticed that. Anyway, this is a software, how it decodes what we're seeing. I'm not going to try to interpret all of the stuff here, but we'll look at a few of the items and see if we can make sense of them. We can see that maybe these from Summerfield, Texas, are not exactly correct. The type is 00. zero. The health is 5, which I don't think is good. So maybe that was some false decodes that we got there. That is one thing I read about, is you could have false decodes on some of this information. So there it is, DGPS, Differential GPS Correction Signals. I've heard through some uh, rumors and some grapevines around that uh, you might uh, be uh, have some friends in high places when it comes to GPS. Well, in a, in a roundabout way, you know, I'm um, I'm part owner in a business, and Tommy was part owner in it when when we founded it. Um, and the head office is in California, and my partner out there had a father who worked for the think tank that came up with the idea of GPS. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Don't go away because we we have a, just a, a brief message here from the professor and dean. At the end Martin. of each month, it's Amateur Logic's Ham College, the new show for those new to the hobby and those wanting to get into amateur radio. Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service as stated in the FCC rules and regulations? That inductor and capacitor form a tuned circuit. That's how you tune the radio to the frequency that you want. The English language. We lived in town. I liked it. I, I listened to mine a lot. It was really cool because you didn't have to have a battery to power yeah. There's our homemade telegraph station. We can use it for long-distance communications. Oh, like, uh, what, three feet yeah, here? across the table. The answer is B. Voltage was named after Italian physicist Alessandro Volta. We can see we're generating a little bit of electricity there. It's DC. It's always great to go back and get a refresher. It sure is. A lot of that stuff, if you've been a ham for a while like we have, you don't really think about a lot of that stuff that often. They didn't have electric screwdrivers in those days, so that's why we're not using one. That's why we went primitive with it. So let's see if we can hear anything when we, uh, we fire off our spark gap transmitter. Well, we didn't build anything or blow up anything today, but... Um, the night's still young. You know, I still haven't got the hair to grow back on my arm from that spark gap <laughs> transmitter you made. Yeah, I think it affected my eyesight a little bit, too. It's <laughs> like looking at welding. Yeah. <laughs> well, as we mentioned, we've got uh, a Rick Pie Station server to give away here tonight. The MFJ1234... 
We're giving away one here that, that is fully populated. In other words, um, it has the Raspberry Pi in it. It has the audio board. And it's got the keyer board in it. So maxed out with all the goodies. You don't have to... If First, what is a RigPi station server, Tommy? Well, it's a pretty cool device that you can hook up to your rig and you can use your rig kind of like you're at home, but you can use it using your mobile device from, from somewhere remotely. So you just plug this into your rig and plug it in the Internet and you're set to go, huh? Yep. You, yeah, I, I hooked mine up on the Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that's basically it. And uh, if you're using one of the newer ICOM rigs, you just basically hook it up to one of the USB cables. That's about all you've got to mm -hmm. do. If you've got uh, a rig doesn't have USB audio well, drivers for it. Then we can handle that, too. Just They've, standard got, audio. Yep. Mm -hmm. Pretty straight audio cables. It's pretty simple. Okay. And these are available um, from MFJ. It's MFJ1234. Uh, they come with the Raspberry Pi in it. Uh, it also has the um, the firmware that you need and the operating system and all already installed. It, there is a keyer board in it, and there is an audio board, but you don't have to get all the boards if you don't want them. If you're not going right. to use a keyer, you might not want to add that to it. So uh, choose choose your own medicine there, whatever you think you need for remote operation, and hook this dual up. Grab your cell phone, make a QSO. Yeah, it's, it is pretty easy to set up. I did a segment on that, uh, was it last month, I think? Yeah, you did. Um, on how to set it up for one of the ICOM rigs, but the others are very similar. Mm -hmm. um, there's a quick start guide that comes with it. Oh, yeah. And it, it was fairly uh, simple to set up. Uh, a couple of ports you'll want to forward there in your router, mm -hmm. but that's really the hardest part of it. Yeah. So... Uh, that's not difficult, and you gave us some tips on how to do that as well. Yeah, pretty easy to do. So we announced a contest, and we put up a link, and you could go there and uh, get the details on how to register. We had a lot of folks register to win this because who wouldn't want it? Yeah, know? absolutely. Uh, a great accessory for your shack and puts it in the palm of your hand. Mm -hmm. We got a lucky winner. We did a drawing right before showtime tonight. We do. Who and have we got there, Tommy? Who's well, the lucky winner is Bruce Lord, K6WKB. Congratulations, Bruce. He's yeah. an extra class uh, license. Congratulations, Bruce. What part of the country is he in? Uh, he's from Corona, California. Okay. Well, you're going to enjoy this, I'm, I'm sure. And MFJ will be shipping it right out to you. And by the way, they, they have had trouble keeping stock on these, but they have stock now. Yeah, yeah, they've been so, really hot items. I've seen a lot of buzz on the Internet about them. Yeah. So uh, it, it's really a game changer for remote operation. It's a, a better price point than anything that's come mm -hmm. along before. And and really a no-brainer. It works real easy. Yeah, you know, it works with well. most any rig uh, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. And as we mentioned uh, earlier, Howard Nurse, and you showed us, uh, you know, the photo there that... yeah. Um, his father worked uh, was president of Heathkit mm -hmm. for a long time. Howard grew up in that environment 
back when Heathkit was uh, first coming out with the computers and all of that stuff. Yeah, re- really sharp guy. Yeah. Very sharp. Yeah. Good programmer. Yeah, he spent a lot of time on this, too, and it's paid off. Yeah, we uh, we did an interview with Howard when he was first coming up with the idea mm-hmm. for the rig pie. Um, that was back at the MFJ 45th anniversary mm-hmm. thing, so look that up on the wiki page if you want to go check that out. Just oh, yeah. A little bit about Howard. And, and we've got a We've been planning to have him here on the show. We just, I don't know, for whatever reason, we hadn't got around to it yet. We'll have Howard on here one night because he is a really interesting guy. He's oh, yeah, got a lot of great down. stories, too. And he, he can tell us more about this and how he came up with an idea and brought it to fruition. Yeah. Yeah, let's, we should do that soon. Yeah. Speaking of an idea, I see you've got one there on your shirt. I do. It's uh, it's the Amateur Logic Brainwave shirt, <laughs> or, or, or I don't brain, know. I'll, I'll call it my Brain Bucket shirt. I'm not sure what. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, this is uh, one of the logos submitted by one of the viewers, actually quite a while back. And I'm ashamed to say it took me so long to get them onto the on yeah. the t-shirts, but they are there now. Yeah. Well, when he sent that one, we didn't have any t-shirts. Yeah. And we were running around naked, but, you know, we appreciate <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so maybe you took the hint. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, we appreciate that. And this one I'm wearing is the the standard issue Amateur Logic TV official. logo, the official one. And, you know, we've got, we've got it on some mugs here as well. We do? Two or three different yeah, colors. Yeah, the uh, camera up there. You mean this camera? Yeah, we've got uh, two-sided ones. If you, we've got some ham college mugs, and we've got some amateur logic mugs, and we've got some that have both on it. If you watch both shows, mm-hmm. where can we go to get mugged? Well, that is a, a <laughs> excellent question there. And we have the perfect answer for you it's too. Funny you asked. Yeah, you can go to amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com. We've got uh, caps. You can get some for your Wamaramers. Yeah. Um, I hear they love them. T-shirts, golf shirts, jackets, backpacks. we got some Ham College swag on there as well. By popular request, we've got the Ham College VE shirts. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got the Anode Rules ball caps on there. For Ham College? Yeah, Mike's Mike's request. A lot of good stuff on there. Go check it out. You might find something you like. Yeah, you, you know... One site there, amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com. You can get mugged and feed your dogs at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That about sums it up. Well, uh, it's been a fun show tonight here. And, you know, uh, throughout the month, if you you want to get in contact with us, we've got a few social sites that you can visit. What are they, Emil? Well, I'm thinking... One of them is the Facebook.com groups, AmateurLogic.tv. That's just a hoot. And lots of uh, people posting pictures and funnies and articles. There's always something happening over there. Yeah. And if you want to, to follow us like a stalker or something, or maybe not, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're on Twitter. We've got at AmateurLogic on Twitter. We also have at Ham College. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, you can follow us there. We don't post a lot, but uh, sometimes we do post when we're going to have these live streams for mm-hmm. sure. And 
there is also another group service that uh, we've added here in the last few months. Mike, can you tell us about that? <laughs> I can't read it, but it's Groups.io. Um, groups. And uh, ever since uh, Google Plus are decided to pull the plug, uh, people have been hanging out over on Groups.io. Yeah, groups.io slash G slash Amateur Logic. Yep. And we've also got a wiki, in case you want to see what we've talked about in the past. Our friend Dan, N9LVS, does that for us. AmateurLogic.tv slash wiki. Yep. Get your show notes right there. Yes, if you're looking up something like the uh, MFJ 45th uh, anniversary episode Mm -hmm. that I was talking about, you can find it on there. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to watch Amateur Logic, where could you do it? You must want to watch it because we're talking to you. Yeah. Well, you could download it. You and, could download and watch it. it that way. You could watch it live. You can. On YouTube. Yeah. We're on the Roku. Yep. We're on uh, Apple, uh, what is it, iTunes. iTunes. Yeah, yep. I almost forgot. We're yep. on, uh, where are we also? The audio version is over on Google Play. And yep. recently we're on Amazon, the Amazon Fire TV stuff. Yeah. It's almost Thanksgiving here in the U.S., so everybody, I hope you have great Thanksgiving. Spend some time with your family and mm-hmm. uh, be safe. We'll see you for Ham College at the end of the month. Yep. And we'll be back here. Wow, it'll be the Christmas show yep. next on Amateur Logic here. I don't know. We haven't been working on any anything special yet. I don't know. We'll get busy. We'll have to see what comes up. Maybe Santa bring us something. Yeah. Maybe so. We'll have to synchronize so that we don't work on the same things, maybe. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, or maybe Santa needs a GPS for the old sleigh there. Well, this was the GPS spectacular, so. Yeah. All right. Again. Thanks, Mike. Always great to see you. And we hope that you'll be back with us on here again soon. Thank you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, Mike. Yeah. All right. And Emil. And Emil. All right. <laughs> seven three, guys. Seven three. Yep, seven three. three.